Hi all, and welcome to the first UNC podcast. I'm Wayne Peterson Stephan, and today I'm here with our senior pastor, Mark Finstermacher. We're here to talk with you, as always, about spirituality and faith, church and community. Um, just a reminder, we're located in Auburn, Indiana, but we have no clue where each and every listener may be joining from. So no matter who you are or where you are, you're welcome here, and we hope you're ready to learn and grow with us. We are so glad you're here. So to start off, um, Pastor Mark actually wants to share just a few things that are up and coming in the life of the church. So I'm going to hand that over to him so he can tell you a little bit more about what's going on here at First UMC. Thank you, Wayne. The first three Sundays of June, our congregation is going to go through a three-week series of messages entitled After the COVID Exile. And we'll talk about what the last year has been like, what we've lost, what we've found, what we've learned, and how we will be different going forward. So I would invite people in the Auburn area to join us for in-person worship on Sunday morning at 8.30 or 11, or to join us online or via YouTube but we do invite people to come back and join us in person if they can for that series of messages. Thank you. So for most of you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you know, usually it's Nikki and I, and Nikki is out on her maternity leave. So I wanted to give a chance for Mark um, to introduce himself a little bit more, say um, kind of how long he's been serving in the church and uh, his role here. And then I'll get the opportunity to ask him our famous strangely warmed questions after that. So, Mark, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Thanks, Wayne. I have been a United Methodist pastor for a long, long time. I grew up on the mission field. I was born in Brussels, Belgium. My parents were on their way to Africa. And uh, through a series of... uh, unexpected developments. I've lived in Africa twice. I uh, have lived in Brussels, Belgium twice. I'm the oldest of five children. There were seven. There are five of us surviving. I did a lot of my growing up in a village in Northwest Alaska and uh, a poverty stricken a place that uh, was about 60% Native American, about 40% Anglo. And uh, so that time in Alaska formed me. Then I graduated from high school in Indiana, uh, went off to IU, went off to Duke. And uh, my wife and I have uh, three grown sons and five grandchildren. I love to preach. I love Jesus. I've been told that I'm actually a frustrated stand-up comedian. And... uh, I'm a big Indiana sports fan, a Duke fan, and a Cubs fan. So uh, that's the story in just a nutshell. Thanks for sharing that with us. So now I'm going to ask you five questions, and you're just supposed to respond kind of with what first comes to mind. Okay. So these are strangely warm questions. So the first one is, what brings you joy? 
There are a lot of things that bring me joy. And so that's a really dangerous question to ask me. Uh, my grandchildren bring me joy. I have five of them. <clears throat> I'm never happier than when I'm with them. Going to the beach brings me joy. Writing brings me joy. Uh, preaching brings me joy. So, um, and I think that's important. One of the things I say to people is uh, know where your joy comes from and uh, make sure that you're open to it and take time for the things, the activities, and the people in life who give you joy. Amen to that. Uh, what is your favorite holiday? That's easy. It's Thanksgiving. And um, the reason it's Thanksgiving, and this may seem uh, inappropriately honest for a clergy person or a pastor, but Christmas is amazing. It's wonderful. And it's just a sprint. So it's not atypical in a large church for us to have three services on Christmas Eve. And if it's on a weekend, we may have three services Christmas Eve and we may have two or three on Christmas morning, uh, uh, the Sunday morning after Christmas. And Easter is amazing. It's at the core of the Christian faith, but it's also packed in terms of worship life in the church. But Thanksgiving is time with family. It's slow. It's quiet. Uh, it involves food and downtime, and I just like that a lot. Sounds like a good answer to me. I'm always always in for the food. Um, what is the phone app you use the most? The New York Times. <laughs> and uh, I, I do that. Uh, I read uh, several newspapers. And I honestly, I try to be open to a variety of news sources. I think that's really, really important. So probably um, the New York Times uh, the uh, and then the scheduling app. <laughs> um, what superpower would you want to have? I, I do. I, I remember the movie in Superman when Superman spun the earth backwards to undo something that was disastrous. And, uh, you know, I'm like a lot of us. If I could spend time back uh, to take pain out of the lives of people, I would do that. But honestly, I, th I think I've got all the power I can be trusted with. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, if you didn't do what you do, what would you do? <laughs> so if you weren't a pastor, what would you want to be? I would be a writer or I would be someone who worked in uh, urban development, redevelopment. The One of the coolest jobs I've ever uh, heard someone had was it was reviewing uh, luxury resorts. Hmm. And um, I've always thought that would have been good <laughs> or having Lee Corso's job on ESPN game day, sitting around the table, getting paid millions of dollars to talk about college football. That sounds good, too. But honestly, I'd be a writer or I would work in urban redevelopment. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. We are now going to get into the meat of the episode, and our topic for this episode is really talking about times of spiritual wilderness, spiritual wandering. Um, so 
I'm just going to open it up and Mark and I will kind of talk about what that spiritual wilderness is and what that often looks like for us. So, Mark, I'll let you go ahead and lead the way. This is a, a deep topic, and it is a topic that is relevant to every single one of us. One of the things that I would say, Wayne, is that when you begin to look at Scripture, at least in the Jewish and Christian traditions, one of the things you see is that wilderness times are just a part of the experience of the people of God. Um, I'm not sure there is a character in the Hebrew Bible that does not go through a wilderness time. And so um, uh, Joseph is out in the wilderness in the book of Genesis. Uh, He's sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are in the wilderness. Um, And so we see this too in the New Testament. The New Testament story of Jesus after his baptism begins with 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. So again and again, we see those wilderness times in Scripture, don't we? And and yet, when they happen to us, it's a shock. Mm-hmm. And a typical response for most of us is we wonder where God has gone. Uh, we wonder what we have done to deserve this. And so we may not talk about this today in the broadcast, Wayne, but the whole question of suffering, how can there be suffering in a universe that we say is uh, created by and ruled over by a loving God? How does suffering exist? I mean, how does that work? And so um, that's a huge question for most of us. So when we find ourselves in a wilderness time, when our life is turned upside down by suffering, or when all of a sudden our faith seems to have disappeared and our prayers seem lifeless and God seems a million miles away, our first thought is we must have done something wrong or maybe we're being punished. Um, But that's not how, as Methodists, we believe it works. Well, and I think oftentimes in those moments of wilderness, like you're saying, when it's difficult to see God, it's not until you look back on those moments later that you suddenly see where God was moving in and through. And I think there's a part of us that wants God to rescue us completely, right? And and the same is true, you know, the Israelites and the in the wilderness, you know, let's just go back to Egypt. Right? It was better, it was better there. And I don't think, you know, like you said, that's not what God does, but God meets us there. And depending on how we respond to God, he certainly redeems things out of those moments of pain and suffering and uses that time to form and shape us. But it's so hard to see that when you're in it. It is. And one of the things that I've told more than a few people in my life in ministry is that by the time I uh, was in seventh grade, I had received a PhD in suffering. And let me just talk a little bit about this in my own personal experience, because I think, again, most of us, when we suffer, when bad things happen, we really feel like somehow God has singled us out. So um, to to be uh, just in summary fashion, when I was three years of age and we were on the mission field, my father died at the age of 27. Uh, He died when my mother was seven months pregnant and was also sick with hepatitis. 
we discovered in the middle of that terrible, terrible time that God provided for us in some amazing ways. When I was six years of age, uh, I was in first grade, and my brother Eric, with whom I was incredibly close, was killed in a car accident on his way to his birthday party in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I happened to be in elementary school. I remember driving home with my dad. He picked me up, and my father explained to me, my adopted father explained to me that Eric had been killed. When I was nine years old, our family was caught in a civil war in Africa, and for a brief time, we were refugees. We lost our home, and we lost everything we had. And when I was nine years of age, I walked home from sixth grade, walking in to discover my mother had just discovered my infant brother's body, who had just died of SIDS. Now, one of the lessons that my mom remembers when Eric was killed uh, on his birthday, my mother remembers a preacher in a large downtown church offering religious platitudes that made no sense to her. And so she remembered the preacher in one great church saying that Eric was such a sweet child that uh, God needed another angel. And my mother just said that made no sense to her. And it set God up as a kind of monster. Um, and then she took my brother's body home to a little uh, county cemetery outside Upland, Indiana. And she said there was a young Methodist student preacher of a little church and at the cemetery, at the graveside committal service, this young preacher just wept. Hmm. And, and what he said was, he didn't try to answer it. He didn't try to explain away the suffering. He said that God is with us now in this, and God weeps for your pain. Hmm. God did not cause it. And so I learned at an early age that religious platitudes... Uh, really are not helpful. And that's why I tell people, if your friend is diagnosed with cancer, if a marriage collapses, if, a, if a, there's a death in the family, uh, don't try to soften the blow by explaining that God wanted an angel or uh, you, you must have enormous faith for God to test you like this. Uh, those are, those are uh, things that really actually come between people mm. and God, right? So um, we don't believe that uh, God causes those things, at least in the United Methodist tradition. We believe God loves us. God has a plan for history, but God does not get up in the morning and decide who's going to lose a job. God does not get up in the morning and decide where an accident is going to be in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or Milan, Italy. Um, but God, as you say, Wayne, is with us. God is with us. And uh, it's interesting that that is um, the name when Jesus is born, mm -hmm. right? The name that Jesus uh, claims and is given is Emmanuel. God is with us. So... Yeah, I can always, I always think of the, the platitude of, you know, that God um, called them home. That, that was always, mm -hmm. always the one that mm -hmm. I heard. And again, it, it places that, you know, it's, well, God did it. And why would God do that? Right. And I just think, you know, when we look even at talking about death, that, I mean, death was never our design, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, God created us for life, for living, and the consequence of sin is death 
And death is part of the brokenness of our world. So to say that God has caused that, that's not, he's called us to life. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I just, I've never found, like you said, those platitudes to be all that helpful Mm -hmm. or um, even a good thing in in representing who God is to people in the midst Mm -hmm. of their suffering. There are, there are a couple of scripture texts that I think are important. Uh, one is a little phrase uh, in Lamentations in the third chapter. And in Lamentations, we're told that God does not willingly grieve God's children. God doesn't do that. Um, it's interesting if you want to read the Hebrew epic poem, Job, in the Hebrew Bible, um, there are all these easy answers given to explain suffering. And you know what? Job, the book of Job says none of those answers make any sense. And the only thing that makes sense is an actual personal encounter with the living God. Um, the other thing that's, I think, uh, some other texts to remember are Romans 8 says that God works for good in all things. And so um, even in the midst of, and maybe we can talk about that just for a moment or two, even in the midst of heartbreaking times, even in the midst of spiritual wilderness, when we trust God, when we leave ourselves open to the presence of God, um, Actually, it is possible that in some of the most painful times of our lives, there may in fact be a blessing, but it's certainly not something we would ever ask for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I think in, in those difficult times too, I've always thought there's an interesting relationship between faith and certainty. And I think you know, when we're in the middle of suffering and it feels like God isn't there, we're not certain that God's there. I mean, that's when faith really does begin. Mm-hmm. It's that that sense that it doesn't feel like God is with me, but I trust that God is here in this moment, whether I see it right now or not. And, and how do I choose to respond and meet God there? Um, because I think that makes all the difference, whether you are getting lost in the wilderness or whether you're finding more about yourself and more about God in that wilderness time, because I think you have either way that you can go, and it really just depends on how how we respond. I think when I would, uh, if I were talking to people who go through wilderness times, and I have this conversation with myself, um, I think what you just said, Wayne, is really important, that a lot of times we, we decide that God is real or God is not, depending on our feelings. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things, I'm a feeling guy, uh, but one of the things we learn over and over again is love is more than a feeling. Um, To quote an old B.J. Thomas song from a thousand years ago. Um, And so faith is more than a feeling. Faith is a decision. Faith says, even when I feel like God is a million miles away, the cross of Calvary, the story of Jesus, the experience of the Hebrews in the wilderness, when they discovered God giving them water out of a rock and bread uh, where there seemed to be no bread, that uh, the reality is whether we believe God, we think God is with us, whether, whether we feel it in our heart, whether we sense his nearness, the truth is God is God and God has promised to be with us. 
So I think when we go through those wilderness times, one of the things I would say is sometimes you need to trust your feelings and sometimes our feelings lie. Mm. So God is still with you in the wilderness. God made you in love. God created you in love. Uh, God's son uh, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross uh, because he loved you that way. So remember that even when you feel he's a million miles away. The other thing I would say is um, don't try to go through a wilderness alone. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, Jesus is amazing, but I wouldn't recommend that Wayne try that or I try that. There are going to be times in our lives when we have solitary moments and there really are. There are moments when I need to be alone. Uh, but when you're going through a spiritual wilderness, don't withdraw from the world or from others. I see this as a pastor. Somebody goes through a difficult time. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. And what they, what they do is they withdraw from the church. And I understand that because the church is sometimes a mess. But over time, if it's more than a temporary timeout, if it's more than three or four weeks after a death or more than three or four weeks after, after a difficult conversation, if it becomes a months and months and months of withdrawal from the world and from other people, Generally, we don't end up in a good place. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll be honest about it. You know, a couple of times in my life, I, I still have a great counselor. That's really important. Um, I also have uh, three or four friends who I've had for more than 35 years. Right. And so I would say to people, when you're in the wilderness, uh, trust that God is with you. Uh, know that God doesn't get up in the morning and decide who to afflict. Uh, that's not who we believe God to be. And make sure that you have some people around you. Talk with someone. Pray with someone. Um, and uh, trust me, your anger at God and your anger at the circumstances and your anger and frustration and sadness that the life you have isn't the life you may have planned, um, that's not going to scare God. And it's, it's generally, if you have a priest or a, a pastor or a rabbi or an imam or a friend who loves you, your anger at God and your sadness is not going to scare them away. Yeah, I think that's always important to, I think people are sometimes afraid of just being emotionally honest with God and just opening up yeah it's okay to be angry it's okay to be completely broken it's okay to you know whatever those emotions and feelings are and it is so important to have people with us in the wilderness because i remind people all the time and we see in scripture god chooses to speak to move to love mm -hmm. through people mm -hmm. so when we shut ourselves off from people then we're creating a barrier between, you know, God trying to reach out to us often through those who love us and care for us and those around us. So it is critically important that you have some kind of community, some kind of, of people that you trust that are with you through those difficult moments to speak into your life. I've always wondered what the difference was between Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter. And you see, I believe they both love Jesus very much. 
And I actually, and this is another conversation for another broadcast, I think that Judas really didn't understand this was going to end up with Jesus on a cross. I think I think Judas had a plan and it went sideways. And I think he was trying to push Jesus to, to kind of take control of the kingdom and make things right. And it went, it all went bad uh, from, from that perspective, from Judas's perspective. But the, what's the difference between Simon Peter and Judas? I think one of the differences would be that Simon Peter felt it was okay to be honest with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So there's that great conversation right out by Caesarea Philippi in the New Testament where Jesus says, I need to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer um, and I'll die. I'll be put to death. And on the third day, I'll, I'll be raised to life. And, uh, and Simon Peter is outraged by this. This doesn't make any sense. How can the Savior of the world end up on a Roman cross like a, uh, a common criminal? And, uh, and so Jesus, the gospel writer, tells us Simon Peter and Jesus are, frankly, they're having a yelling match at each other. They're rebuking one another. And Jesus actually calls Simon, calls Simon Peter, his best friend, one of his best friends, Satan. Mm-hmm. And so they just have it out. I mean, Simon Peter doesn't understand it, doesn't make any sense, but he's willing to be honest with Jesus. What we don't see in the New Testament is, is Judas Iscariot having that kind of honest moment with Jesus. And so whatever concern Judas may have had, we don't see kind of this uh, verbal exchange. And I think that one of the things we can say to people in the church or outside the church, in the synagogue, in the mosque, outside in the world is this. We believe God is big enough for us to be honest with. Mm -hmm. So um, if you wonder about that, open your Bible and look at the Psalms. And frankly, you may be shocked at how honest the psalmist is, right? Where are you, God? Uh, I, want, I want you down here right now. I've got a gripe against you. And, uh, and so we can be honest with God. And hopefully we've got someone, uh, a friend, uh, a family member with whom we can be honest when we go through the wilderness times. Let me just say a couple things before we're done, if I can, about, you know, one of the books we've looked at in our church is Peter Scacero's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And one of the things that Scacero says about uh, going through wilderness times, he says there are a couple of things that can happen to us. One is um, going through a time of brokenness tends to free us from the temptation to judge others. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, when I tell people, if I were a layperson, I would want a pastor who, or a priest who could preach and a pastor or priest who could love people and a pastor or priest who had gone through a heartbreaking experience. So sometimes time in the wilderness actually uh, teaches us some lessons and it slows down our tendency to judge others. The second thing Scazzaro says in his little book is that going through a wilderness time may help actually us have a deeper appreciation for the holy unknowing, he calls it. And that just means that, you know what, you go through a time in the wilderness and you may have a more humble attitude about who God is. And you may realize, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly, dimly. Mm -hmm. We don't know it all. Uh, And then lastly... Um, 
we have a greater ability to wait on God, that uh, we're a little less impatient when we go through wilderness times. So God may actually work in the times in our lives that are difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think we see that to be true all throughout Scripture. It seems like sometimes the only time God can really catch our attention Mm -hmm. is when everything else has failed us. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that, you know, God is often the last resort almost in life, Mm -hmm. but it's when we're in that, that depth of suffering and and nothing else is, is helping that we hear God most clearly sometimes. So it's the last thing I would say, I think is, as we talk uh, today is that, I find myself thinking of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the side of the Mount of Olives. And um, that's not a bad part of Scripture to read when you and I go through difficult times. And so Jesus is out there on the side of that hill outside the eastern side of Jerusalem, and he's praying, and he asks God, he says, you know, if there's another way, would you take this cup from me? And I can't speak for other people, but every time I've been in the middle of a heartbreaking wilderness time, that's what I prayed. I I want, there's got to be another way. Um, And so I, I want people to know that when you go through a wilderness time, that Jesus of Nazareth went through wilderness, not only at the beginning, but he went through the wilderness at the end. And, um, and yet and maybe this is key. He kept talking to God. Mm-hmm. So he's in this garden. He's about to be arrested. His heart's breaking, but he still talks to the Father. He talks to God. And uh, and God bless the disciples. He's asked three of his best friends to come wait with him. He knows it's the toughest night of his life. And and these three disciples, like, you know, like us, they all fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So... I want you to know not only when you're in the wilderness, you're not alone. God is with you. God may actually be at work to do something good out of the brokenness and the awful heartbreak of this moment. But remember that Jesus was there too. And remember how the story of the cross ends. It ends with life. Well... I don't think there's a better way to leave it than that, honestly, (laughs) because that is, yes, it ends with life and and Jesus is there with us and and went through it with us. So I hope you all have have gotten something, have been fed by this time, and you may be in a spiritual wilderness right now as you're listening. And so I hope that God has moved and speak and spoken through through this time that we've had together. Um, Mark, is there anything else that you would like to say before I give a little preview of what our, our next episode may be and we wrap up? I would say to you, if you're listening to this, what I said to a group of preschoolers this morning <laughs> and, and uh, here at the church, our staff re- regularly visits these classes to have connection with these children during this uh, this long year of the pandemic. And every every time I visit, I tell them they're loved by God 
And uh, I want them to know that. And so I would want you to know in the easy times and in the tough times that you are a beloved child of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget that. So we actually aren't sure what the next episode will look like yet. So embrace the mystery with us and be surprised. Um, But just as a reminder, if you would like to submit a question or if there's a topic that you would like us to address or you just have comments about the podcast, you can always reach out to us and write us at podcast at auburnumc.church. Thanks so much for joining us today and make sure that you tune in for our next episode. You can find our podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. If you can't find us, let us know. We would love to connect with you and know that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at First UMC Auburn. We also have a Facebook community that you can join called First UMC Online Community. And there you can connect with the church by participating in chats and discussion posts. You can share your prayers, thoughts, photos of your life, celebrations. Uh, We just want to get to know more about you. And uh, the purpose of this group is to grow in relationship with others both online and then also with God. Um, Another great resource uh, for you is our website, auburnumc.church, where you can find more info on the ministries of our church, upcoming events, and lots of other fun things. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.